Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another podcast for Golf.com and The Knockdown. I am thrilled to be joined by my reluctant colleague, Michael Bamberger, who um, puts up with us for all these podcasts. Michael, thanks for doing this. Knocking it down. <laughs> we we begin... go for 30% more here. Alan, are you going to tell the people where we are? Because typically we're in a more interesting golfing environment than we are today. Yes. Well, we are gonna um, we are gonna continue our Sunday night tradition. We'll find probably a diner or something like that near Beth Page for a, a recap. But this is this is a PGA Championship preview. So I'm at home in Carmel, California, and you are where exactly? I'm home in Philadelphia, but both golfy in their own way. Yeah. So the I mean, the, I live in the St. Andrews of America. You live in the um, I don't know North Berwick. The uh, the Pinehurst of Pennsylvania. More golden age golf courses here than probably any, maybe anywhere in the country, really. No, that's true. I mean, that's actually interesting because when people talk about the golf meccas of of America, they talk about Chicago, they talk about Long Island, of course, the Monterey Peninsula. But it does seem like Philly gets overlooked a little bit. It's not fair. No, it is. It is not. I once posed that question to Herb Wind, uh, Trent Jones, and Crenshaw, and they all they all put Philadelphia in the in the top three, along with New York and uh, and Chicago. I was so surprised when uh, Crenshaw left off Myrtle Beach, but he did. <laughs> strong, strong name drop too. Herb Wind. Um, I mean, I knew Herb well. I, I know. I mean, the the list of people you've played golf with is spectacular. It, whether it's Herb Wind, John Updike, Robert Mueller, Donald Trump. I mean, feel, keep going. Who who else is on the list? Oh, let's see. Uh, Ken Green. Nice. Yeah, uh, but we should we, we, we should move on here. But Alan, did, uh, did, this, I, did okay. I hear you say that you have your housekeeper uh, at, at the house right now? Yeah, yes. I mean, there could be some ambient vacuuming in the background. Also, my my puppy is at my feet, demanding my attention. So this is this is gonna be an atmospheric podcast. But I, I'd like to. How often does the housekeeper come? Every other week. That's the exact same rhythm at which Warren Buffett has his housekeeper come to his yeah. Omaha home biweekly. Well, I don't think Warren Buffett has four young kids and a dog, so I feel better about this now. Um, although he has a few things that I don't, like a plane and an Augusta National membership. Um, I would like to go back. You got more driving games. <laughs> that is, I would hope so, since he's like 85. I'd like the readers to note that I tried to get Michael to talk about himself and his life, and he quickly shifted topics, which is longtime um, podcast, you know, uh, connoisseurs will, will recognize his 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 jab and faint game that we're used to here but uh, that's okay we're gonna move on this is supposed to be a pga championship preview as always it's getting uh, discursive but that's that's part of the fun we had a good po- our post view last one was a good one at that italian restaurant um in st louis oh yeah oh yes no that was the highlight it wasn't that long ago it was august and now here we are in may I know. Well, let, let's start there. I mean, I, I think that the move to, to May has been a home run for the PGA because they get to draft on the excitement of the Masters, especially this year. Um, they get away from the brutality of the August heat and gives them a chance to have probably firmer conditions and, and maybe uh, more varied golf courses. It's, it's not the end of a long slog where everyone's a little apathetic and burnt out. I mean, to me, there's no downside. But am I missing something to this date change? You want to hear a shocker? I'm, I'm totally down with it. I, I can feel it already. It's better. It just fits better in the schedule. Golf is just really, especially after the Masters we just had. I was talking to Mike Davis recently, and he doesn't think it, it hurts the U.S. Open uh, in any way. It, it may even help the U.S. Open. Especially, I mean, if you get a great picture and then 
it just helps set up things for the U.S. Open and the British Open is the British Open. So uh, I think it's neat. So, Michael, it's it's been a month since since Tiger Woods won the Masters. We've had a lot of time to reflect on it and, and ruminate on it. What does that victory mean? Can you can you provide some context for our listeners and, and even for ourselves? Because I'm still struggling with the enormity of it. I myself thinking about it and his future and his recent past uh, every day. Uh, I mean, we've devoted a lot of our adult lives to uh, to writing about this guy and thinking about this guy and, and trying to figure him out and. Uh, and it's given where he was two years ago, uh, in terms of his uh, every aspect of his life. Uh, we don't even need to get into it. Everyone knows um, it's it's extraordinary what he's done. In the context of was he trending this way? Yes, he definitely was. We saw how well he played last year. He, he won the Tour Championship. He semi contended. Well, he did contend in the British Open. He kind of contended. He did contend. I don't know why I'm being so cautious about it, uh, but. Uh, at the PGA Championship um, in August in St. Louis. Uh, but for him to step up there and make the shots he needed to make on that back nine on Sunday and keep the ball dry and not have three putts and just do everything correctly uh, in a crazy Sunday afternoon is amazing. Uh, it's an amazing testament uh, to his greatness as a golfer, but it definitely goes deeper than that. And I think that's why... You know, a month later, we're so we're still literally processing it. I mean, when when you think about that victory, he, he didn't make any putt over eight feet. The the high on Sunday, I'm talking about Sunday only. But um, the the only real highlight shot was that one on 16. But everyone can hit that shot. It, it's sort of been devalued. I mean, what's what when we think about Tiger's wins? There's there's usually a signature moment, but it was different this time. It was just one calculated well executed shot and you know he flushed it when he got from the 12th tee on it was just basically perfect golf but it wasn't spectacular golf it was just careful well thought out and well executed and it was it was such a controlled performance that's really what I think about it he just it was all of a sudden he went back in time here I am. I have a chance to win the Masters. Everyone else has lost their mind and hit in the water and done these crazy things. And, oh, yeah, I'm Tiger Woods. I'm just going to get it done. And I, I just I think about the, the, the swing he made off 17T and just kind of the, the, the effortlessness almost that he played with down the stretch. It was just, it was, it was just a, a really unique performance of he just seemed so calm when everyone else had kind of everything was going crazy around him. And that's what I remember most was almost his stillness amidst that kind of hysteria. Well, I think you said that really well. I mean, unfortunately, this it was weird because he went from behind. He's never won a major from behind before. So we weren't accustomed at all to, to seeing that. He won very few of his, you know, um, 80 or so uh, uh, tour events uh, coming from behind. I mean, his thing was wrap it up by by Saturday night. And then because he was better at golf than everybody else, all he had to do was be himself on Sunday. Really very seldom had to do anything extraordinary. And even on this Sunday, he didn't, as you just pointed out, nothing over eight feet. Stiff the shot on 16, but that's very stiffable. Really nothing too extraordinary. You know, the signature moment, of course, is Molinari hitting the water on 12 and then, you know, making a mess out of, uh, of, of 15 uh, as well. And some people have said and want to say that, oh, that was the Tiger effect of Molinari. I don't think it was. Uh, do, uh, do, do you feel that it was? Well, he was he was just hanging on on the front nine. You know, he scrambled beautifully, and he was pouring in putts. But you could see his swing was a little bit off. And 
Um, so, but for Kepka to hit it in the water and Poulter and Finau, I mean, I think, I think there was a, a weight. Like those clubs were feeling heavy. I think the. Um, do you attribute that weight to Tiger's presence, or do you attribute it to other things? Well, it's also just the the magnitude of the Masters. But I mean, you know, we were both out there. The crowd was bonkers. It was not. It was not a Masters crowd, which is always kind of stately and and polite i mean this felt like a british open where people were were kind of losing their minds and there was an element of anarchy i mean it made it fun but it didn't feel like a sunday at the masters to me it felt different and i agree with that and and when and there was some applause from Molinari hitting it into the water on 12 I and mean, that's really not augusta national no not at all that i know a lot of people feel as you feel that you know whether it was whether it was the crowd heat or just the heat of being up tiger on that board uh they do feel as you felt i don't feel that i just feel i don't feel it was tiger's presence uh uh and i don't think it was crowd noise i just think it's the masters means too much to people these days uh more now than ever before because you that's the club of clubs as you know as we've written uh uh, many times but i could be totally wrong about that i mean we can't really know you know why cupkin and Dustin Johnson, uh, you know, missed those uh, putts to get to, what were they trying to get to? Uh, 13 or 14, yeah. 14, yeah, to 14. Um, but the fact is, they did. They, they they didn't go in. But I really, I just don't think that was Tiger. But what you said, when, when you were talking about that key moment and how the kind of isn't one, you know, the thing that probably has stood out the most to me uh, since then is he's had very few public appearances uh, since then. But he did the one interview with Dolph TV uh, where he's got a contractual relationship to, to do interviews. And at one point, did you happen to see that interview, Alan? I did, yeah. It was interesting. It was really interesting, I thought. And because that one moment, I, th- I think he talks about looking at the board after 16. It, I'm, not sure I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm saying it correctly, but I think I am. And it was like he started doing the math, you know, where he was and where everybody else was and what he had to do and what everybody else was doing. And it was, it was Tiger at the height of his mental powers. And, of course, the mental powers don't mean anything if you don't have the physical skills to go with it. But he knew what he had to do to get it done. And that's why he really didn't have to do anything extraordinary. He just sort of had to do what he knew he could do and let the others do what they were going to do. Maybe it was earlier than 16. And, I mean, you touched on something also in, in this month since since the Masters. The mystique has only grown. I mean, I love that he hasn't played any tournament golf. You know, if he, if he comes back at the Wells Fargo and misses the cut or finishes 40th, it, it takes a little edge off the, the build-up to Bethpage. But now we haven't really seen him... And he, you know, he's 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 pulled a couple power moves. You know, he's parked the yacht up there, and everyone just as a reminder that that he's he's you know paid the cost to be the boss, and he's got the boat up there. He's 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 in the rose garden, uh, getting the presidential medal of freedom. Uh, no one's seen him hit a bad golf shot since the Masters, so I kind of like that. He's gonna he's gonna roar into Bethpage, and the anticipation is delicious. I totally um, agree. But I mean, you talk about power move one and power move two, Rose Garden, and the, and and bringing that boat up there and parking it up there. Uh, uh, that's pretty big. Also, no interviews. Uh, you know, just just really the the, uh, the one interview. No media tour. He doesn't need a media tour. Uh, I agree. And the idea of you know, of course, we you know. You, Many would remember that in '08 he went from uh, from the Masters. Remind me if I have this correctly. Did he not play at all between the Masters and uh, Torrey Pines that year? No, because he had like a little minor, you know, he had a little minor knee surgery, which then suppose that was the story, <laughs> and so so he was out for basically two months. And so yeah, the build up to Torrey was big. Right, and 
you know, and, and, and this and this is similar. And and I think he, uh, what he's been saying all year, he's going to play fewer events this this year. But it's not just playing fewer events. It's well, of course, that's part of it. But being ready for the events that actually matter to him, uh, and you know, nothing matters more to him than, uh, than 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 trying to get to 18. Is and that that idea sounds crazy, but he he's won there before. He knows the golf course. Now he's he's already had a practice round there, and his. As he has said many times in, in in press conferences, he can't stand on the range or on a practice screen and do what he used to do. His body won't let him. So that means more than ever, he has to have more mental preparation. What could be better than having a month away from tournament golf and think, start thinking about this golf course and how he wants to play it, precisely how he wants to play it? I think it's going to be good for him. Well, I think one thing that's becoming more clear is how much preparation it takes to get his body ready to play golf. And you know, Ricky Fowler told me it was Sunday in the locker room at, at Augusta where you know he has the same physio as Tiger, and he was saying he you know Ricky plans his whole day to get there before Tiger because otherwise Tiger could be on the table for an hour and a half, two hours, and it messes Ricky up. That would seem to be almost impossible because because uh, because Tiger starts so early in the morning. Uh, I know the dads and the. Uh, and the workout and, and getting, uh, you know, the rub downs or whatever. Yeah, all that. And it's a long process. And so why put himself through that to peak for the Wells Fargo championship? You know, no disrespect. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just getting tournament sharp with uh, the short game and, and the swing. It's also getting his body to peak. And I think that's an underrated aspect going forward. It makes, it makes the, the ascent up Mount Nicholas a little more fraught, you know, knowing we saw how that that video when he did go to golf TV. How stiff he looked walking in, you know. Clearly, he'd probably just gotten up and gotten in the car. He hadn't done anything, and it showed. So, I think we're getting a little clearer. And also, you know, I thought one of the most interesting things that Tiger said Sunday night in Augusta was, "Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be sore tomorrow because I was just really releasing the club and, and swinging hard." And um, you know that there's there's a there's a cost. To, to playing tournament golf for Tiger now. So I, I'm totally fine if he play if he goes full Hogan and plays six or seven events a year. I think he's got to he has to do whatever he has to do. Yeah. But having said all that Alan of the of the three remaining majors, which would you consider the hardest of the three for him to win? I think it's Portrush because first of all, it's as we know, the draw can can have a there, there's such a roll of the dice. I mean, I was looking back at the 2000 and uh, and 9 US Open at Bethpage. And if you remember, the weather was horrible, and Tiger was on the by far the bad end of the draw. Um, the wave that he was in, he was the only guy who finished in the top eight. Everyone else came from the other end of the draw. Um, that that was unusual, but that can, that happens a lot at the British Open. There's there's such a it's just a big brawny golf course. Now Tiger drove the ball beautifully at Augusta National. If if he if he swings a driver like that, he's going to be very hard to beat at any of of these venues. But um, I think I think there's the, the cold weather, the unpredictable weather. It just not knowing the golf course. You know, he has such an institutional advantage at Bethpage and at Pebble Beach, and he doesn't have that at Portrush. So, I think there's there's just more there's more variance in, in the preparation and in the way the tournament plays out. But you know, that said, the Pebble Beach is extremely petite golf course for the modern game. I mean, it's barely seven thousand yards. Um, it's going to be all about hitting fairways, managing your game, and then second shots to those tiny greens. I mean, that, the way Tiger's iron game has been, um, he's going to be really tough there. So um, I, 
I, I just instinctively feel like Portrush, but what, what's your thought on that? Wait, so, so how would you rank the three for his, for his best chance to win? I would say, I'd say Pebble, definitely the favorite, because it doesn't matter how he's driving it, because it's going to be a lot of two irons off the tee. Um, Beth Page, if he drives it well, and that's the X factor in his game, as, as it has been for a long time, if he drives it well, he's definitely the guy to beat at Beth Page, but... It's that's such a big, tough golf course. The rough looks thick. I mean, he, he's not Dustin Johnson off the tee. I mean, he hasn't been for a long time. Now, he was on the back nine at Augusta, and that was crucial. But uh, on on the whole, that's it's not the strength of his game. So, I would say Pebble, then Bethpage, then Portrush. So, uh, uh, I would think Bethpage is the uh, is maybe by far the most difficult of the uh, of the three because it'll be by as you were pointing out, it'll play by far the longest uh, of the three. And then if he tries to do too much off the tee and he winds up playing out of the rough, you can't play out of that rough. Uh, it'll be wet and it'll be long. I presume it will because it's been. We've had a we've had a kind of a rainy spring here in the Northeast. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to play long, wet, and difficult. And I think it's going to favor uh, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, and, and Brooks Kepka. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's wild that we're even talking about Tiger's Grand Slam chances, but here we are. I mean, it's like... We've gone back in time about 19 years. It's, Tiger and I turned pro the same year in 1996. That's when I, I graduated UCLA, and that's when he left Stanford. I thought I was going to outlast him, but maybe not. I, I mean, it's just unbelievable how um, he's made himself the story yet again. Um, but before we leave Tiger, we, we have to go to the Rose Garden because you were the only member of the golf press who managed to be on site for that momentous occasion. And I'd, I'd love your impressions of of that afternoon um, of Tiger, also of, of the president, of course, because you have a long relationship with him. But w- what was your takeaway from, from that ceremony? I'm happy to get into that, but just a quick note. I would say Tiger is deep on his back nine, and you, Alan, are barely making the turn. So hang in there. <laughs> Matt Adams of Golf Channel was also present at the, uh, at the uh, Rose Garden uh, event. But I must say, aside from that, I did not see – I saw familiar faces because I saw Jim Acosta of CNN – but I did not see any of the people that we know, the Karen Krauss in the Times, Steve DeMeglio from USA Today, Doug Ferguson from the AP, Bob Harrod from the ESPN. I, I was half expecting to see some, or if not all of them, and didn't see uh, didn't see uh, any, any of them. I mean, I actually thought Deme- I, th- I thought DeMeglio might be the one who puts the medal around Tiger's neck. Actually, there, there's a there's an underlying closeness there. If not DeMeglio, probably John Feinstein, one of the two of them, or Jenkins. It was extremely interesting event to, 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 to be there, and I'm sure you could pick up it on TV, but maybe more so in person. I thought Tiger was overwhelmed. He was quiet. His voice at, at times was uh, was barely a whisper, um, even though you could, you could hear him clearly. You know, he, he, he won an award that, that Charlie Sifford won at 92, and Charlie Sifford uh, experienced a... Uh, a lifetime of pain to get there. And Tiger Woods named uh, his son for Charlie Sifford. It's a significant moment, and it can be debated whether what Trump's reasons were for giving the award. You can be debated, and you did this ex- expertly in, uh, in your Ask Allen response the other day. Let's get into that in just a minute, whether uh, Tiger should have uh, even accepted the honor uh, or not. But the fact is, 
uh, he did, and and the occasion seemed to me more to him almost uh, than he could handle. I mean, very different than he was uh, Sunday night uh, at the Masters. He's probably a little bit closer to the emotion that he showed uh, when he came off the uh, 18th green at, at Hoylick at the Open last year. But let's let's step a quick aside and t- because he really handled it in a very creative way, and I was a little surprised at how he handled it. But when, uh, you you have your weekly column or biweekly column now, twice a week column. Uh, ask Alan, uh, and one of the questions was, uh, should Tiger even accepted the honor and, and tell the folks what you said? Well, I understand the sentiment, but I thought it was slightly ridiculous to suggest he should have turned it down. I mean, it, we were celebrating Tiger, not Trump. And obviously Trump is a very polarizing figure, but Tiger has, has earned this award um, for obviously his on-course brilliance, but also his philanthropy. For sure, he's probably going to go down as having the biggest scandal ever of, of any recipient of this award, but he's rebuilt his life in, in a way that I think is very moving to a lot of people. And so some, some will never forgive him for his, his uh, infidelities and the other, the other scandal elements of the scandal. But uh, I think that this is, this is a country that likes second chances. And I think that people have, have been, have been touched by the way that Tiger has, has kind of become a different sort of public figure. So I, I, I don't, I think he did the right thing. He, he took his kids and his mom to the White House to be given the highest award a civilian can get by the president. I mean, how cool is that? We would all love that. And no matter who the president is, I think we would all accept it and be touched by it. And I thought Tiger's emotion told the story of that. And yes, he has, he's had a business relationship with Trump. Um, but so is, you know, Jack Nicholas has, has had his fingers in a lot of pies. So was Arnold Palmer. I mean, at some point, you know, you just you just have to accept that um, Tiger deserved the award, and he showed a lot of of grace in receiving it and a lot of emotion. And I I think that was that was enough for me. People are free to disagree, but uh, I I thought I thought the whole ceremony was 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 pretty special. And, and you know, and say whatever you want about Trump, and people do all day long. But Trump, uh, Trump handled that ceremony itself in an extremely likable way because it's the true Trump. Uh, it's the Trump that you know some of us got to know long before he was president, which is he worships celebrity, worships athletes, he worships success, and he's actually in awe of these things. And unlike his own success, I don't mean this to diminish him really, but you can't inherit golf scores. You know, in other words, what Tiger did, sure. he did on it. He, he did on his own. So I, 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 I uh, largely like Tiger. Really was in a position where he could not accept that award. Uh, but I do understand a lot of people saying, you know, how can you compare a 43 year old with the 65 year old Jack Nicklaus and all he had done in his philanthropic and off course life and Arnold at 74 and Charlie uh, Sifford at 92. And also, I, I think an underlying question here is if Molinari keeps that ball dry on 12. Is uh, and and Tyra has a nice try, second place finish. Is uh, is Trump going to tweet out on Monday? I'm giving Tiger the presidential medal of freedom. Of course not, because Trump loves winners, not second place right. finishers. But um, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it isn't what Molinari didn't keep his ball dry, and Trump did what he did on Monday. It was interesting because, and you you wrote an excellent deadline piece for for golf.com that that made this very point. It was it was kind of fun to hear Trump riff about golf because. Does he understand the complexities of foreign policy? 
probably not. Did, does he understand the, the, the complexities of economy and the tariffs? That's debatable. But he knows golf. And there was a comfort there that you rarely see from him. And, you know, his little aside about Tita being tougher than Earl, uh, that, that was cool. I mean, we know that. People close to the game know that. But um, I'm not sure that Cory Booker or... Uh, Bernie Sanders or any of these other aspiring presidential candidates would would be able to just pull that out, you know, off the cuff. It was, uh, I, I you know, I enjoyed that because that 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 was uh, that revealed the depth of his fandom and, and his knowledge of the game. Alan, just to just to follow up on that one thought that you just uh, shared about uh, Trump and his insights into golf, how about this moment where he talks about Tiger's six consecutive USGA amateur wins, the three junior wins, and then the three USM wins, and uh, of course he wins 36 straight matches, uh, which is crazy. But even to get into uh, match play uh, on each of those six occasions, he had to shoot a certain uh, medal score. And uh, that meant nothing could really go wrong um, in any of those moments. So he, he just made a quick aside, stroke and match play. And it was just another good insight and something that I'd actually never really even focused on. But it, it made me think about it later. Well, one of the most insightful things Trump has ever said since being elected president, when he was talking about the, the election and the electoral college versus the popular vote, and he said it's the difference between stroke play and match play. And that was brilliant. I mean, that that... That was the best possible way he could explain it. Now, I'm sure a room full of political reporters were scratching their head, but uh, that, that really nailed it. Because as we know, you can make an eight in stroke play and you can still, you can still win your match, you know, four and three. It's just different. So, he, he, um, so yeah, that, that, that was an interesting confluence of golf and politics. But let, let's try and bring this back to the, the PGA Championship. And not the 2022 PGA at Trump Bedminster. Yeah, well, it's true that if if, if Trump is reelected, that is going to be a flashpoint. There's going to be protesters outside the gate. There's going to be a long drumbeat of coverage about what it all means. Uh, that that tournament is is just out there waiting to provoke controversy and emotion. So it's I'm sure the PGA of America is going to be trying to get out the vote for the Democrats because they, they don't want to deal with that. But I don't know. Maybe they do. It would certainly. If they don't have it that way, then they're going to have Trump as host. Uh... Uh, hijacking the event for its own purposes. So, uh... I mean, I remember the U.S. Women's Open at Bedminster. I mean, the, the leader of the free world was sending out tweet after tweet about women's golf to his tens of millions of followers around around the world. There could be no better way to grow the game than that. From his glass cube, it was like it was like a it was like a Pope mobile. It didn't move. That was amazing. That was weird. <laughs> that was that was an interesting event. But um, all right, let's. We could talk Trump and Tiger and everything else all day long. Let's pretend that this is a PGA Championship preview and 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 go back to the mundane. We, we've had we've had years where we couldn't work up, we couldn't fake enthusiasm for the PGA Championship. <laughs> you know, on a ninety-six degree day uh, leading up to it, and this is genuine enthusiasm. I, I feel, and I, I'm almost sure, I'm sure you do too, for this PGA Championship. So that gets back to our first point. No, I can't wait. I mean, I've, I've games lined up at Wingfoot, at Rockaway Hunt Club. I'm working on Sleepy Hollow. I can't wait for PGA Championship week. What about some of the other Beth Page courses? Are we not playing them? Well, you know, I've actually never played the red, the green. I mean, I, I know that they're they're kind of cult classics in their own right. What are, what are your other favorites out there? No, I actually have not well schooled in any of them. In fact, I've only played the black, <laughs> which, by the way, I ha- I would have no need to play that black again. I really wouldn't. That is a hard, hard golf course, but good. It, it but probably very good for them. 
Oh no! To me, it's like it's like Pinehurst number two. It's an incredible tournament venue. You have to play it and cross it off your bucket list. But it, it's it's you get brutalized so often, and it's so unforgiving that um, it's yeah, it's not one you have to rush back to. But it is it is certainly an incredible test, and it's for the modern game. It's one of the few courses that can that can bite back. So uh, I think it's going to be great. Um, but do I want to play it on the Monday afterwards? Definitely not. Who else do we care about in, in this tournament? I, I mean, certainly Brooks Kepka is by, by any other measure, he should be the favorite and the headliner. You know, the guy has it's been on this incredible run. He didn't win the masters, but it was another, it was another near miss. And his, his record in the major championships over the last four or five years is unparalleled. Um, Whatever that phrase really means in golf, uh, the favorite, he is the favorite. You know, in, in the sense of who would you be least surprised to see win, it would be Brooks Koepka. How, how could it be anyone other than Brooks Koepka? He hits it a mile. He pitches it great. He putts beautifully. Nothing seems to disturb this guy. And he plays great on hard courses. Uh, why should, you know, who would be surprised to see Brooks Kepka win this thing? Does, does he does he evoke any emotion in you as a golf fan and observer? Um, mild disdain because he seems to not really care that much. But I'm sure that's not true. It's just sort of what he emits. Uh, how about for you? I, I like Brooks. I mean, I like writing about him. I, I think he's an interesting guy. He gives us a lot of good material. You know, we've had a few ups and downs interpersonally, but I, I mean, I, I don't root against him by any means. I think he's he's he has a certain star quality that, that the other guys don't. Part of it is mystery. You know, he's kind of a throwback to the old days. Where you didn't know that much about these guys. They had He has sort of an inner life that we haven't been able to tap into, um, partly because he, he, he's not really on social media and, and other things. But I, I like that there's a there's a retro element to Kepka. Um, I was shocked to see him at Augusta after uh, after hearing so much about his weight loss. And you know, you thought you'd see this shriveled up Jack Fleck-like figure. He's huge. He's always been... You know, as long as we've known him, he's been a huge, strong man, and he's still really big and strong and powerful. So I, I didn't really, if you, yeah. I would not have even known that he, what did he, whatever he lost, it was, it wasn't as obvious to me. Yeah, he looked a little slimmer to me, but he didn't look like twenty pounds for sure. Um, is that what the number is? Supposedly, yeah. But that was that was at his nadir from from that moment until the Masters. He probably put some more weight back on, but he did hurt his brand though. I mean, he had a, it would have been the ultimate Kepka moment to beat Tiger again, ruin the feel good story of, of the millennium and, and steal that green jacket. And, but he, he kind of shrank from the opportunity. I mean, putting it in the water on 12, it's just, you just can't do that. I mean, the back bunker's fine. <laughs> like, so that that was a, a huge mistake. And then even so, you know, Eagles 13 to get back in the fight. And he has, what, 10, 12 footers on 17, 18, not to make one of them. That, that was interesting. I mean, I'll be curious to see what that flinch uh, does to his his confidence, which has been basically bulletproof, but, um, you know, that was, that was a big moment and, and he didn't, he didn't deliver. So nothing wrong with finishing second at the masters, but, um, that, that to me is, is an interesting little, little twist in the road in, in what's been his, his dominant play. You know, it, it'll always be the one that gets away for him. But having said that, he, he just seems to have a great job quality where he can let it go, uh, or he can turn, you know, frustration into, uh, in, in improved results uh, uh, down the road. I mean, he came back so quickly from that from that injury last year, and uh, he comes back from 
slights and he comes back from you know really pretty lengthy periods of uh, of not playing and he's ready to go i i don't i don't see any lingering effect from uh from that you know he he got himself in position to win that that's really all you can do is get yourself in position to win no, i'm not gonna win every one of them no no it's it's an impossible standard but he was right there and i would say you know now i'm repeating myself here but but just to look at his future, whose future do you like better at Augusta National between Rory McIlroy and Brooks Kepka? I hope for Rory's sake he does win it for lots of different reasons. I like Rory a great deal, but if you were just going to pick one of those two guys someday win at Augusta National, uh, I would pick Brooks Kepka. Oh, it's not even close. I mean, it's been such a funny season for Rory. He's playing at an extremely high level. You know, you look at the, the statistics, he's at the top of a lot of them, and he's had all these top tens. He won the Players' Championship, which we know is a, a big, important tournament, and yet he just, every other Sunday or, or every other weekend, he's gone backwards, and he's just looked vulnerable. And so it's it's really interesting. I, I don't know how to assess his chances for Beth Page. I mean, it's a big, brawny golf course. It's probably going to be soft. You know, that's that's tailor-made for Rory, but no pun intended to our corporate sponsors. But it's... Um, it's really going to be interesting. I mean, he, I've I've given up predicting Roy McIlroy because you just never know what you're going to get. Um, there's there's a certain frailty there that that we didn't. You know, he made he used to make the game look so easy, and now he often makes it look really difficult. And so he's so talented, and he's he's playing at a high level. You can't ever say he's not a contender. But until he does it again, when it really really matters. It's hard not to be a little skeptical. What's your take on Rory? Well, having said what you said, I would say that uh, Beth Page Black uh, should be a great course for him uh, because he drives it so extremely well. You know, if you can drive it really long and in play, you're so far ahead of the field. I this does not this does not you know they talk about the hundred best players in the world uh, uh, all all competing in this PGA Championship. True. I, I wouldn't think that there's 20 different guys who can win, and they're all going to come out of the uh, the Brooks Koepka, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Rory McIlroy uh, school. They're going to be guys who, who, when they're driving well, drive it really long and in play, and uh, you know have eight iron in hand on par fours. Uh, so I, I think this is a I, I think this would be a, a great opportunity for him. And I also think it's the PGA Championship at Bethpage. In other words, it's not Augusta National. Uh, it's not the Masters. So the point there being, if things get sticky on Sunday, whether Tiger's uh, in the mix or not, I, I don't I don't see Rory doing. We've seen him do some weird Sunday vanishing acts. I just think I have an instinctive feeling that here he wouldn't. He'd, he'd hold up just fun. Yeah. The crowds are going to be interesting because, you know, recall it, it, the 2002 U.S. Open, the, the heckling of Sergio. I mean, when they were counting his waggles and he wound up giving the crowd the finger. I mean, it, the, it's it's not a typical golf crowd. and It can get under the skin of the players in, in a unique way. Um, I think Rory's a fan favorite, but... Um, you know, if a guy like Patrick Reed finds himself in con- contention, he may hear some things he's not used to hearing. Ian Poulter, I mean, you can go down the list. The, the anti-heroes, the Bryson DeChambeau's, like, it, it could get interesting. Um, you know, certainly they love Phil, they love Tiger, but everyone else is up for grabs. You know, it, it, it's going to be a different kind of element. It's going to feel a little bit like a Ryder Cup um, just because the crowd's going to be loud and obnoxious and not quite a, a traditional golf crowd. And you know, if Tiger's on the board, you know, we, we saw what he did to Augusta Nationals, we talked about earlier. Beth Page will be totally 
bonkers. I mean, it'll be like watching those those old clips from Yankee Stadium in the 70s when players are, you know, they're throwing batteries at players and pouring beer on the outfielders when they go to chase a, f- a fly ball and it could be it could be gnarly, but I look forward to it. I mean, it, it's going to be fun. For Rory specifically, I I don't see the crowds going against him because he's likable, he's good in the tent and uh he's good with crowds, he responds to crowds. And even if even if it, even if you're playing with Tiger, I, I you know I just I just couldn't imagine them really turning for any reason on Rory. It doesn't really give up any reason to uh, dislike him. I, I agree with that, but he also he can be quite honest. And if you know, they're they're fickle. If 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 the crowd's obnoxious and Rory calls them out, you know it it could it could curdle. But um. You know, I I just think that it's an X factor because if if the Augusta National patrons are clapping for Molinari drowning a golf ball, I mean, imagine what happens if Tiger's in contention. We have the chance to get halfway to the Grand Slam, and all of that. I mean, it could be it could be really interesting subplot, and um, it may. And, come and we've seen we've seen it in New York uh, really more than anywhere. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean we saw it with uh, with Shark in '86 at. Uh, at Shinnecock Hills, and uh, we've seen that Wingfoot. We've seen it. We've seen that Beth Page in the past. Uh, it, there, it is a different kind of uh, crowd response. Uh, it is closer to a Ryder Cup uh, atmosphere. Any any of those New York events than, than anywhere else, and and you get a non, you do get a non golf crowd. This ticket, I went to. My, I grew up on Long Island, and I went to my uh, uh, 40th high school reunion uh, last year. And uh, it was an actual subject of conversation. How can you get tickets for, for the PGA Championship? You know, I hadn't really focused on that part, but I think you're right. I think that, I think that is that is part of part of the equation here. Now, as I remember, previous majors there, they keep the crowds quite a distance from the uh, from the players. It seems in, in general uh, there. But uh, anyway, but and then you've got uh, you know FM uh, excuse me uh, talk radio is really a significant thing uh, in New York more than anywhere else in the country. And, and people take, take their cues from it. Do you remember that the year that Lucas won the, uh, uh, the U S open? I mean, people are going crazy about uh, the ticket policy uh, for the USJ and whether it'd be refunds and how all that would play out and whether you could show up on Monday. But anyway, the crowd response and the radio response, talk radio changed the USJ ticket policy overnight. Basically, they had the, they had on the fly. They were getting so creamed by the New York media. They said, "Okay, everyone can just show up for the Monday finish. It's fine. We don't care. We're not gonna, we're not going to charge anyone." It was, and that was sort of pre-social media. So um, anyway, it it's going to be a wild PGA Championship. It's going to be the greatest PGA Championship in a long time, at least from an anticipation standpoint. We don't know about the delivery, but I think it'll I'm be looking, better than the one in Tulsa. I think it's going to eke out. Um, a little better, a little better mojo than we had in Tulsa. So I'm happy I'm going to be there. I'm looking forward to um, having a few good meals with you. We will, we will Sunday night podcast to wrap the whole thing up. So this, this is, this is like the appetizer before the, the 32 ounce tomahawk. We're going to get it. Peter Luger's on Sunday night. That's actually not a bad idea. The readers have, or actually the listeners have a right to know. Well, thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate your loyalty and your patience. Uh, this is Alan Shipnuck signing off another podcast for golf.com and the knockdown. We will do this again soon.